You're listening to Second Breaks, the show where we talk about feeling better, doing better, and being better in midlife and beyond. I'm Lou Blazer. You know, I am happily child-free. But I know many midlifers who are going through this dreaded, empty nester time of life. I've heard from many friends who are experiencing a melange of emotions from excitement to pride to sadness to feeling somewhat lost and empty when the kids leave the nest. So I wanted to explore this topic on the show And no better to do that than with my guest, Karen Herbert. Karen is a certified professional well-being coach. She and her husband, Curtis, have kids. They have three young adult children. And they also have a consulting practice where they coach and help midlifers find the spark for their midlife renewal. Now, they also host a Facebook group called Getting Ready for Your Empty Nest, which is free and anybody can join. And in our conversation, Karen shared many insights and real experiences from this community. And so I'm sure that you're going to find all the things that we talked about very relatable. I myself tried very hard to channel my friends who are parents and going through this major life transition. And I think I did fine. (laughs) So in this episode, we talked about the most important objective or goal parents should have, particularly as they guide their children to young adulthood, how to manage the many different emotions and feelings that you may be going through during this period, and how to best continue to be in your children's lives, even as they leave the nest and go on on their own. Okie dokie, let me step out of the way and I'll catch up with you at the end. We're going to be talking a lot about empty nesting, uh, empty nesters, empty nesting in this conversation. And I'm so excited because this is actually the first time that I'm talking about this particular topic directly with someone who knows a lot about it. Like, I mean, I've talked about it peripherally with other guests, but I'm excited to be talking with someone who knows a lot about this. Can you talk a little bit about just for context, kind of like what you do with the community that you run? Yes. So um, more generally, I'm a transitions life coach. But what I found is that I just ended up mostly working with a lot of women who were in and around the empty nesting season and who had a lot of very similar, you know, struggles and experiences. And so it's been very beautiful. We come um, together actually in, in small group communities to do coaching and and really it creates a lot of synergy and bond in the community. It's been it's been very lovely. Awesome. And so you're going to be sharing some of the uh, observations, some of the conversations that you're getting from the community today with us, right? That is awesome. So yes. Um one of the things that uh, just full disclosure, I don't have kids, uh, but I have mm-hmm. uh friends who are going through this uh, you know, this time of life where the kids are going off to college and they're becoming empty nesters and I'm hearing all kinds of feelings that are yes. <laughs> coming up. <laughs> and so I would imagine that becoming an empty nester, going through this process, brings up all kinds of feelings and some are 
happy, some are sad, some are all kinds of stuff. And I was wondering if you wouldn't mind sharing some of the more common emotions or feelings that this this experience generates in people so that our listeners would not feel like they're alone or that it's not perfectly normal, quote unquote, to be feeling what they're feeling. Yes. And as you've alluded to, it's kind of a big mixture. It's a melting pot of a lot of different emotions. And it it takes some awareness and acceptance, I've noticed, to allow ourselves to experience those emotions and allow ourselves to have all of, feel all the feels, as it were. And there's many common emotions. I mean, it, it is a major transition in life. So there is grief and loss. Like when anything comes to an end, there is a feeling of loss and there are things to grieve. And this is especially true because our kids are such a central part of our life and also of our identity. So there's a loss of experiences. We can feel a loss in the relationship because the relationship is shifting. We can feel a loss of who we are because that's been so central to who we've been and, and our role. So we feel can feel a little displaced, like we're not sure what our role is anymore. And all of that is changing. And of course, then there's just, you know, the daily life that changes when a kid moves out of the house or goes to pursue a career or more schooling. There's just a lot of just daily things that shift and our losses for us. Just just like your routine, basically, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So many little parts of your routine shift that we don't maybe aren't even conscious of until it happens. I've heard also um, someone I know talks a little bit about regrets. Like, I wish I had done this. I wish I had done that. Now I miss them. I haven't been able, you know, that, those kinds of stuff, mm-hmm. like a regret of lost opportunities. Have you heard that from, from your community? I'm so glad you asked this question. <laughs> I'm so glad because I, I, this is what I found is that the women in the community that I've worked with thought it was just them. And the word that they tend to put on it is kind of this more general feeling of guilt. And it can encompass a lot of things like, oh, I didn't do such and such when I had a chance. And it's also like that we're looking back over our lives and our parenting journey. And it's it's kind of a time when things come up and we just feel like, oh, I didn't, I wouldn't do that the same way. And so it's it's like we zero in on the things we wish we would have done differently. Or our kids are having struggles or they're not getting the outcomes or we not we're not sure if we agree with their choices and we have guilt around that. So it is a time when I think this kind of you know guilt or regret surfaces for us as parents and there are things we have to process through and let go of and release. And, and so one huge thing that we really emphasize in our programs is learning the skill of self-compassion and learning how to meet ourselves in that place of regret and guilt and having compassion for ourselves so that we can reinvest in those relationships in a positive and loving way. Do you, this is a funny question, but are there people who are actually happy about like, and like, Ah, 
you know, I can gain the space or whatever. I could turn their room into a craft. Are there actually people who are excited about it? And are they feeling guilty about feeling excited about about Yes! <laughs> yes, it's so true. And and I don't think there's anybody who doesn't have a little bit of that because <laughs> There's this new freedom and the kind of a release and now like, oh, I can reinvest in myself. Right. But yes, many people, we're just not used to, to having that. So there's this kind of underlying guilt like, oh, can, can I tell somebody I'm sitting down to read a book right now? <laughs> Shh, pull down the shades. Don't tell anybody. Exactly. (laughs) Especially, I think the more, and again, this is me looking in, because I I don't have this personal experience, but my sense is that the common quote-unquote acceptable feeling is one of, you know, sadness because you miss Mm -hmm. your kids. And so when you're feeling happy, you feel kind of, I shouldn't be saying that because I shouldn't be feeling happy that my kids have moved out. (laughs) It's more quote-unquote acceptable to say, I miss my kids. I wish they were still home. Right, right. So, but like I said, I guess, you know, there's all kinds of feelings. It brings up all Mm -hmm. kinds of feelings. But there was one thing that... uh, I saw on your website when I was preparing for this interview, I can't remember if it was your husband who said it or you said it, but this this idea that our children's happiness is not our responsibility. And I literally, I stopped. And again, saying it again, coming from the perspective of I am not a parent. So yeah. so maybe if I was a parent, I would think differently, but the the the, the immediate response or the immediate reaction is that, but... Isn't it my responsibility, my kids' happiness? So can you talk a little bit about that? Where, what is the, what does that mean when you say our children's happiness isn't our responsibility? I'm so glad you focused in on that topic. And to be honest, this was something that really came out of our work with women who are going through this transition. And we started to notice that it was very hard to release the responsibility around their kids' happiness. And it totally makes sense that we are invested Mm -hmm. in their happiness because really, I mean, we love them so deeply. And that's part of what love is, is to really want the good for another person in their life and the greatest good of, of happiness and joy and satisfaction and fulfillment. So we will never stop wanting that for our kids and supporting them in that and cheering them on and desiring that for them because it's part of our love for them that we want to see them in that place of happiness. And it can be actually a cause for a lot of empty nesting moms in terms of their own suffering and challenge is watching their kids go through struggles, sometimes very serious things, um, choices that that we look at and we say, this will not make you happy. And we know that and we desire that for them. I think the difference is there's something about that next level of trying to take responsibility for their happiness that... We simply cannot control 
someone else. We cannot control their choices. We cannot control their outcomes. We can't control their happiness as much as we might desire it for them. And there can be ways in which we we want to cling to creating that happiness for them. And it's only something that they can do. It Only they can create their own happiness. So in a way, wanting to take that on is, is not respecting the dignity of who they are because it's part of our own happiness that, that we're agents of our own happiness right. and that we, it's a part of our self-realization process that we take responsibility for our own happiness. It's part of thriving, actually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we can't, we can't take that from another person. And so there, in a sense, there is that boundary. Mm-hmm. between how much we desire it for them. Understandably, we always will. And yet detaching from controlling or having responsibility for their life. And in fact, if we want to take too much responsibility, sometimes it can even have kind of a, it can backfire mm-hmm. and get in the way of loving the person where they're at. And supporting them where they're at and allowing them in their own freedom to have their own journey, whatever Mm -hmm. that looks like. And it's going to include ups and downs and some not good stuff, some of their own suffering. And it's so it is one of the hardest things as a parent to do is to watch that and very carefully question and discern what's my role here? How am I supposed to love? in this situation for this person? And they're very unique questions. Oh, my goodness. As I was listening to you, I'm trying to put myself in that situation. And if I am thinking about a friend uh, or even a relative, and I'm saying to myself, okay, I'm not responsible for their happiness, I could totally see it. Like I could totally see being concerned for their well-being, but not feeling responsible for what's happening with them or feeling, you know, their happiness. But the moment I try to imagine myself as a mom, it I totally have a hard time because I'm like, but if, for example, let's say they're talking to you, they, you know, they live away from you already at this point and they're talking to you about some decisions that they're making in school or at work and you know or you feel that it's not exactly the right sort of, that that sort of option may not be the best option. And so, so of course, you would say your point of view, I would imagine. But like, how do you, if they choose to, if they choose a different thing anyway, and then they ended up feeling upset about it, like, how do you, how do you go through that? It is, it takes a lot of self-control. I'll tell you that. <laughs> it takes a lot of self-control. But here's the interesting thing. So they have talked to a lot of young adults about you know, relating to their parents. Mm -hmm. And there's two things that come up over and over, two things that they just really hate (laughs) from their parents. And here's the thing. I just totally, I love that you're so resonating with, you know, that experience of being a parent. And sometimes as a parent, it's really, really hard to step back and imagine the experience of being the young adult or even remembering Mm -hmm, being a young mm -hmm, adult. It's been mm -hmm. so long and we have to like reconnect 
to what that felt like and what we wanted at that time. And the two things that young adults really hate are one, unsolicited advice. So advice they have not requested about, you know, their decisions or whatever. And two, feeling judged by their parents. It's very hard for them to experience feeling judged. And and if there's, you know, moms of young people out there, they'll all know it doesn't mean you're expressing judgment, but they can experience judgment <laughs> in many different ways and occasions. And so those are really, I think, two key things to be aware of when we're in those situations is waiting for the young adult to ask for our perspective. Or if we feel like we really have something to say, to to ask permission. Are you open to some thoughts I have or suggestions or thoughts? And, and then to respect their yes or their no about receiving that advice from us. And it, it, I will say it goes a long way. If we ask permission and they say no or not right now and we respect that, it just establishes so much trust and freedom in the relationship. And they're much more likely than to come to us when they really do want to hear what we have to say. So, so those are the two biggies is, is it's so hard <laughs> not to give advice. And then just to be mindful of how the young adult is experiencing us and really try not to communicate judgment and instead just to communicate curiosity, huh, asking yes. questions, right? responding, like reflecting back, just really good listening skills, reflecting back what we're hearing and getting more information and being curious and asking what they think about other things. It just, it like provides this way for them to open up and sort of explore these questions that you want to ask them, but in a less threatening kind of way. You know, two two things that I want to put a pin on what you just said, Karen. One is that being aware that you as a parent may not be expressing judgment, but that the other, our kids, our children may be feeling the judgment. It, it doesn't have to be spoken words. It could be maybe your facial expression or maybe the way that you're behaving. It, judgment comes across in many different forms that just because you're holding your tongue, that doesn't mean that they're not feeling the, <laughs> the judgment. It's so true. And they know us so well. They know. Yeah, they know us so well. Yes. Oh, her her eye was ticking. She's not happy with me. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But I didn't say anything. You don't have to say anything. I know you. Don't you. Say anything. <laughs> so you're like, do not tick eyes. Stay open. <laughs> the other thing too that I I thought I I really appreciated you said was that it's hard for us to imagine when we were kids because it's been a long time and. Just for a, a few seconds there, I tried to imagine how I was when I was a young adult and I would tell my parents. Now, and this may be true. This, I, I don't think I'm the only one who was like this, but I had a, a, a rebellious streak when it comes to my mom, not so much my dad, 
But when it comes to my mom, if she said A, I will pick B automatically. Whatever, if she said black, I would pick white. For whatever reason, that was my automatic response system to whatever my mom said. And then if if I I had this thing where if she said A and then, then I picked B and then I ended up happy with my choice, then I'm like, see, I told, I proved you wrong. I was happy with my choice. <laughs> but then if she said A and I picked B and I, it ended up to be the wrong decision mm-hmm. and then I was upset and then she would say, I told you to pick A and then I said, well, but I learned my lesson. So I know, mm-hmm. you know, I've, I've learned it. And so it's, it's, it's a, it's a valid sort of lesson learned. And I was wondering if you ever heard, I, I would imagine I'm not the only one who was ever like that with their parents. No, 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 no. You are not alone. <laughs> and so kids right now are probably doing that too, like feeling that yes. whatever their parents said, they'll pick the opposite, right? Yes. And as a parent, it's just so important to pay attention to that. Like, where is this kid at? What do they need right now? Mm. What do they need right now? Mm-hmm. What will serve them? And knowing sort of how they respond. I, I did have a client who had in a very similar situation, maybe even like super extreme, kind mm-hmm. of a young adult who whatever they would have said, he would have shut down and not mm-hmm. done that thing. And so they had to be very intentional about what their priorities were in that relationship and how they were going to have conversations and communicate and be very clear with themselves about when they needed to address certain things and and also just this whole host of things that they were able to say, we have to let all that go. That's just Mm. the way this individual is. That's how they learn and grow Mm -hmm. is to make their own way. And it's not going to be any way like the other kids, our other kids will do or his peers. I mean, this is like a beat my own drum kind of right, kid. Right. And the thing is, it's very easy to have a difficult conflict oriented relationship when you're trying to relate to a kid, either a kid who's like that personality wise or who's just in a phase, a situation. And so. Um, I wish I could remember the book that has this sentence in it, but I just think it's so helpful <laughs> when we're dealing with our young adults because sometimes we have these mixtures of goals, right? We want to see certain outcomes for them. We have goals for them, right? But the sentence was, your goal, your goal with your young adult is to have a healthy, loving adult relationship, a healthy, loving adult relationship. So that relationship is your priority, regardless of their choices or their outcomes. That's, that's our goal. And, and that is just, I think, such a helpful perspective to orient ourselves around because we have lots of goals around outcomes for our kids. And our, our main goal is that healthy adult relationship. 
We're going to get back to that interview shortly. I just wanted to briefly mention that this podcast is made possible by Midlife Cues. Now, Midlife Cues is a weekly digital publication for midlifers who are keen on making the most of their midlife. Every Sunday, we explore topics that help us live a joyful midlife. We talk about health and well-being. We talk about midlife mindset, one of the most important foundational things that we really need to master. We examine what growing bolder in our middle years mean for each of us individually. And we explore how we redefine success at work and in life. Give Midlife Cues a try by signing up for your free copy at midlifecues.com. Okie dokie, let's get back to the conversation. I really like that. I think that puts things in perspective. Like at the end of the day, what is the most important thing? The most important thing is that I have a healthy, loving relationship with my kid. Huh, I love that. Um, There's this other thing too that I, I hear where parents who tend to put a lot of pressure on their kids to excel in their choice of college or whatever, like what they're going to do in life, in you know, uh, life choices, and that it's about, I know my kid can't, I, I expect a lot from him or her because I know she's got a lot of potential. And I feel like it's my job to push her because she's got a lot of potential and she's not seeing it. What, you know, and then of course it creates this conflict, uh, between the two of them. And so, what might you say about that sort of situation where the parent is saying, I see my kid's got a lot of potential and she's not, you know, living up to her potential? That is such an interesting question. And actually, I have to think about it because my natural parenting style is much more laid back. Mm. And in fact, in fact, one of my kids recently said to me, you know, mom, I, I think it really... You're, you're very merciful and understanding with my choices, but sometimes it would help me if you just pushed me a little more. I think it actually would help me. <laughs> so I have some weaknesses in the other extreme. Right, 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 right. Parenting style. But I, the, the, I think the question that, or the word that stood out with to me as you asked that question was potential. We all have this amazing potential and it's like all the possible things that we could do or the influence that we could have or the achievements we could have or the just the impact of the world or just being the kind of person we were created to be. We, we just, as parents, we see all those beautiful things in our kids. It's true. And I think we can forget that be, because the kids are sort of at the end of their phase with us, we think, well, now they're grown up and they are going to go out and do their thing. But really, they're at the beginning of their life. They have a, this enormous journey ahead and it is, it's their own journey. And there's a lot of room for them to explore areas of potential and get feedback. And they still want to know, like, like most kids in college, honestly, they're, they're not really sure who they are, or what they want to do. And and there's this ongoing exploration, you know, really th throughout, for sure, their, their 20s, 
Who am I? What's my thing? Where do I thrive? What do my relationships look like? So, so they really still are at the beginning of exploring their own potential. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think as parents, we get ahead of ourselves because to us, it's oh now. my gosh, it's the, it's now, it's the end. I, I only have six months to help this kid. <laughs> Then I'm throwing them out there. Oh, no. (laughs) Right, right. Exactly. It's like, they're going to go to college, and then that's it. And I have to tell them everything now. Yes, exactly. I know. It's But it's actually, if if we, going back to what you said, if we are able to go with this as my goal is to have a loving, you know, healthy relationship with my kid, then that conversation, that communication, that relationship will continue. And as he or she mm-hmm. goes through those process of assessing and questioning and what if, and I don't know, then they will always come back to us. They will continue to seek our perspective yes. because we have maintained yes. that loving, healthy relationship. You are much more likely to have influence and support. Yes. As opposed to pounding them over the head now. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Exactly. Mm-hmm, it's true. Oh, my goodness. All right. So let's turn the tables a little bit, Karen, and talk about this identity crisis thing that's happening. Mm-hmm. What I hear with some of my empty nester friends, who am I now? They don't need me anymore. I've been a mom, especially, especially, especially I've noticed this with my friends who, who were full-time moms um, mm-hmm. who have you know, to use the words, devoted their entire lives to their kids, to, you know, bringing up their kids. And now they feel like they're no longer needed or mm-hmm. who are they now? So how, yes. how, how, what do people, you know, how do people go through that? And sort of what's the, what's the way through that, you know, feeling of emptiness? Yes, that is a great question. And you're right on. There can be a lot of, uh, you know, kind of identity crisis, purpose crisis, yes. role crisis, because this central thing is is changing so mm-hmm. much. Mm-hmm. And the first thing I like to say is this really is a major transition in mm-hmm. life. And obviously, everyone will experience it in different ways. But one of the really surprising things about, about major transitions is they kind of take a long time. And in mm. fact, the research shows major transitions last for three to five years. That's true. The process of transitioning. So one thing I think that happens is we experience this, oh my gosh, I have this major loss. And then somehow in our brain, it's like, well, I got it. I got to fill this. I got to put something there. I have to fill my time. I have to find something to do. I have to move on. And we have this expectation that it's going to happen in six months or even 12 months, that we can have this major reorientation in some really short period of time. And it's just not reality that there's a process we have to allow ourselves to go through. And it's going to be like, like we were talking about earlier, some loss and some grieving intentionally as a as a phase of that process around who we were and what we did and where we found our purpose. And it's going to take a phase of kind of being in no man's land, trying to figure out 
I have to reconnect with myself here. I I need to process, you know, with both process where I've been and what I've done. And then that question, which can be hard for many women exactly in that space where you said, which is, what do I want moving forward? To reconnect with that and then to try to explore new things in an intentional way and and move in into something that's really aligned for us. But it can be a very uh, a longer process than we expect and mm-hmm. longer than we want sometimes. Do you have you observed that there is a difference in the way that men process their empty nester face from women? And I asked that because a girlfriend of mine had told me that her husband couldn't let me not put words into her mouth, but it's as if she felt like because her husband went to work every day and had a career that he that she felt he didn't feel it the loss as much as she was feeling it. Mm-hmm. So do you have I, you noticed that there is a gender difference? I've really noticed that and they're just one of the things that has been striking to me is mm-hmm. just the experience of empty nesting can be so different between spouses that they're just having very different responses and experiences uh, yeah. around it. And so it can be hard to understand where the other is coming from. And, and I do think it's true when you have, you've been investing, like if you're, um, if you're a dad, you've been investing in your work and in your family and you have this big transition in your family, but this work still takes up so much of your life. It's understandable you would kind of experience different, especially in the day to day life that you're living. On the other hand, I just spoke with a couple and the dad, and they, this was a couple who, you know, is now a little older, but they had seven kids. And the dad was sharing that when his youngest left, he had this like year and a half long depression. And it was not quite depression, but it was kind of like a funk. But, and I think if he was the the stay-at-home mom, it would have been more obvious to him why this was, why why he was having the experience. But he was like, oh, well, I thought it was this work thing. And then I thought it was this family thing. And he just had no idea. And then finally had this revelation. Yes. Oh, it's because my youngest kid left. And I'm experiencing that I'm not the dad like I was before. And so that was kind of a role reversal a little bit. And it was very striking to me that I think dads who experience that probably don't have a framework or lens for figuring out what's going on. It's probably more common for women to understand or at least know it's connected to the empty nesting. Oh, I like that insight that had he been, if like if if he had been full-time dad he'd have mm-hmm. picked it up right away but because yeah, he wasn't exactly. he was he was uh pointing not pointing fingers but he was like maybe it's this or maybe it's that before he finally zeroed in on what was what was causing it the other thing that i liked about what you said is that and tying it to to what you said earlier about that this is a major life transition and that there is this 
urge in so many of us to like fix it, fix it, let's fix this thing, fill our lives with other things now. And so for other people, that is their automatic response mechanism to something like this. So a spouse who is all of a sudden getting busy with other things or pouring his or her time at work doesn't necessarily mean he or she is not feeling sad. It's that that that's how they are responding to the sadness. They're just like, okay, I'm just going to devote my time to work because I don't want to feel sad. That is a great point. That is a really Great point. And I think it's very natural response. Mm-hmm. Yes. We just fill our lives because we don't want to, you know, and then the other spouse might be going, well, why isn't she or he feeling as upset as I am? But mm-hmm. they're just not seeing it because the other person is responding differently to the so totally. And, and again, I don't know, because I think that to some degree, a death of a parent, for example, or a death in the family, it's almost as if, it's obviously another life transition, right? That's a major event. And it is, it is, I'm going to use a word, I don't know if this is a proper word to use, but it is acceptable to show the grief when you're grieving for, you know, the death of a parent or something like that. Whereas if it's an empty nester, it's almost as if there's an expectation that, okay, well, your kid's been away for six months now or a year now, get on, get on with it. Or, get, you know, it's, mm-hmm. I don't know. So I like I like what you said, how you framed it. That this is a major life transition, and we go through that emotions and grief and loss just as well, you know, just the same. And it's not uh, we should accept that and not fight it and not feel inferior or feel guilty for feeling or you know that those feel. Sometimes it's like we feel sad and then we feel bad that we feel sad. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And, and this is actually, it's, this is what's hard for me sometimes to go on social media to plug into conversations where people are talking about the experience Mm -hmm. because there often can be a lot of judgment and criticism about how someone else is experiencing the transition. Mm -hmm. You know, the people Mm -hmm. who are really sad are like, I'm so sad. It's so hard Mm -hmm. for me. And the people who are not are like, what's wrong with you? Live life. Feel freedom. That's it. And so then there's this. It's That's it. instead of being a supportive environment for everyone to have their transition, it be just becomes like, now I feel misunderstood and judged. And, and that's really hard for me to watch because it's, it's such a unique individual process and how each of us moves through it is unique to us. And I just, um, I just feel strongly about that being honored for each person in totally. their experience. Mm-hmm. Well, then it's great then that there are communities that, you know, people who are going through this can join or, mm-hmm. you know, like what is the best practice, if I could use that phrase, if one, someone is preparing for that phase in their life or is going through that, you know, emptiness thing, sort of that, you know, uh, melting pot of emotions that we were talking about. What is the best way to go through that process? Is it joining a community, seeing a therapist? Like what is, what, what do you normally suggest that people go to? I do think that finding a community can be extremely helpful. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes, um, sometimes communities can be focused on, on the external aspects, like Mm -hmm. how to get a new hobby. Or oh, yeah. how to um, 
get out of the house or, you know, just sort of practical suggestions. And those can be very helpful when applied properly, you know, Mm -hmm. for an individual. Mm -hmm. I really look on this transition as an opportunity. This is a real opportunity to have a a real transformation, real Mm -hmm. personal growth, Mm -hmm. a real intentional look at the next season of life. And, and really asking ourselves kind of those questions you posed at the beginning. Well, who am I? And, mm-hmm. and actually dig into answering that question. And what do I want? And what could I create in this next season that would really mm-hmm. fill me with joy and satisfaction and fulfillment? And, and, and probably because most of us in this space, we want to make a contribution. We want to yes. bring our gifts and talents. Yes. to the world. So mm-hmm. how can I do that in a way that's not just, well, I need to get busy, although there might be a short period of time where somebody needs to do that, but more fully dig in and ask those questions. No, this is an opportunity for me. There's there some big transformation here yeah. that will really be the foundation for this next season of life. Mm-hmm. So in our communities, we work very intentionally through processing all of those questions and mm-hmm. And seeking kind of that next thing that we want in life. Yeah. So what I'm taking out away from that, Karen, is it's not about filling your calendar all of a sudden with things that get you busy now, but Mm -hmm. taking this opportunity to reflect. I I really like that, Karen. I, I appreciate that. Which is a good segue for you to talk a little bit about, I mean, I know we talked a little bit about in the beginning, but could you talk a little bit more about the work that you actually do? How do you do it? Who do you work with? And where can people find you online? Yes. Oh, I'd love to. Thank you. Um, currently, I work with women, both in one-to-one coaching and into in our group coaching communities. Mm-hmm. And we do exactly what we've just been talking about, which mm-hmm. is walk together through this transition and dig into these questions. And also, it's just this really beautiful season to, you know, just let go of some of our old fears and mm-hmm. and grow in confidence and doing things that we never thought we could do and letting go of some of our limiting beliefs. So there's a lot of that that happens in the community as well as, you know, relating to our young adults and what's going on with our spouse and and looking ahead. So we really like it to be kind of a transition incubator kind of <laughs> for people like that. to walk through with one another. And so um, in both the group and the one-to-one capacity. Yeah. Is the group, is, is it like a Facebook group that people can join or they have to be part of a program or how do people find you and your community? We do have a Facebook group. Actually, mm-hmm. we have uh, one, it's called Getting Ready for Your Empty Nest. And it's free and open to anybody. So mm-hmm. we'd love to have people join. Mm-hmm. Uh, we Then we'd have our paid programs where we, um, you know, walk people through the group coaching and our and our program, we call it Life in Abundance. So it's our Life in Abundance coaching program. And our, our website is thmlcoaching.com. 
Got it. Got it. Well, I'm definitely going to put a link to all of those on the show notes. Oh, thank you. And I have a couple of people who I will send specific special links (laughs) because I know know. that these things that we just talked about will resonate with them. So I will specifically send them the links even before the show airs. So I really appreciate uh, you sharing this, your experience, your insights, Karen. But last two questions before I let you go. Mm -hmm. And this is just really, I just wanted to get your personal uh, thoughts around this. Um, the mantra of Second Breaks is celebrate midlife. And I like to explore this phrase with all of my guests. So when I throw out the phrase celebrate midlife to you, uh, what springs to mind? Wow, I just really love that mantra because I just feel like it really is a season that could be celebrated more just culturally and and personally i i feel like i i'm doing a lot i'm loving this season of life but to celebrate i'm actually you're really inspiring me both for my community and more personally and and part of it is you know all the transitions in midlife i mean there's this one and then there's our parents and then there's career change i mean there's just so much so so this element of celebration just It's like a breath of fresh air to me. At 20, I was very concerned about my choices and I took them so seriously and they were serious choices, but I didn't appreciate that life is a journey and there are twists and turns in the journey and there's many beautiful opportunities and even the things that we think are not good or trials for us are really opportunities and possibilities in our life. And now I feel like I have a different perspective on what life brings me and the kinds of opportunities there are. I take myself less seriously. I'm concerned, obviously, about my choices. I don't think there's a right and wrong choice for everything. And I have to just figure it out. I feel more relaxed and open and and I feel a lot freer in my life. I hope you found my conversation with Karen Herbert useful. If you head on over to secondbreaks.com, you're going to find the show notes for this episode, which will have all the links to Karen's website and the Facebook group and all the places where you can find her online. So again, secondbreaks.com. If you enjoyed this episode or like listening to the podcast, I would so appreciate it if you would share it with your friends. Tell them about this episode or about the podcast in general. You spreading the word about the show helps tremendously. It's still the number one way to grow the show and reach other midlifers who could benefit from the topics that we talk about. So I would be so grateful for your help. Okie dokie, I'll be back in a couple of weeks with a new episode to help us make the most of midlife and beyond. Until then, stay safe, stay sane, and keep on making your dent, my friend. Cool beans. <laughs>